and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Well, hello, everyone. We have such an amazing show today, probably one show that I'm super excited about. Uh, I have two guests on the show today. Our first guest that we have is Dr. Robert A.F. Thurman, who New York Times Magazine refers to as the Dalai Lama's man in America, a scholar, author, former Tibetan Buddhist monk, co-founder with Richard Gere of Tibet House in New York City, and a close personal friend of His Holiness, the 14th Dalai Lama. He's also a proud father of five children, including the actress who's one of my favorites, Uma Thurman. Um, He was ordained as a Buddhist monk in 1965 by His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, and the two of them remain very close friends. Thurman is a leading worldwide voice for reason and compassion and was named one of Times Magazine's 25 Most Influential Americans and one of the top influentials in religion by New York Magazine. He is going to be the keynote speaker for the Afterlife Awareness Conference this year that is being held virtually June 24th through the 25th. Uh, Path 11 Productions will be bringing that to you guys. And his presentation is going to be focusing on how to die like a Tibetan Buddhist. Uh, so we are really excited to talk to him and the founder of the Afterlife Awareness Conference, Dr. Terry Daniel. She is here with us today, and she is an interfaith clinical chaplain, trauma specialist, and end-of-life educator certified in death, dying, and bereavement by the Association of Death Education and Counseling and Trauma Support by the International Association of Trauma Professionals. She conducts workshops throughout the U.S. to help the dying and the bereaved find healing through meditative ritual and therapeutic processes. She's also the author of four books, and uh, her books have been acclaimed by physicians, hospitals, workers, grief counselors, religious scholars, and we have just a dynamite team here today with uh, Dr. Thurman and Dr. Terry Daniel. So welcome to the both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I'd like to begin, Terry. I'm just really curious. You always have fascinating keynote speakers. Um, Robert Thurman is going to be definitely one of them. And I'm just curious to know why you decided to bring him on as the keynote speaker for the conference this year for 2021. Because he is a gem. And I have been wanting to get him to the conference for about the last four or five years. And I'm so thrilled. And he is, like you said, I, I, I don't remember the term, the Dalai Lama's man in America or Buddhism's man in America. And a lot of the people who come to the conference are very interested in other views of death and the afterlife, aside from the views they were raised with in our Judeo-Christian culture. And they venture out and they're interested and they looked at Buddhism a little bit, but they don't really know a lot. And this is information that I really want to bring to them because they they need it. You know, they want to find different ways to die and to understand impermanence and all these things that are in Buddhist teachings, which Dr. Thurman is is the go-to guy to bring us that information. So I'm thrilled that you're going to be with us. 
Yeah. So I'm excited he's going to be there too. And I'm going to be in the backdrop, you know, kind of working with Path 11 and be able to see his um, his presentation. So uh, Dr. Thurman, how to die like a Tibetan Buddhist. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Well, um, really, actually, um, sure. But, um, but the title of how to die is, of course, important and uh, to understand death because our whole life is related to death. And unfortunately, the mass of people are scared of death, very, very much scared of it because they live in denial of it. You know, So they are thinking of death as sort of the bitter end and uh, defeating all their purpose of being alive. And, they, and that spoils how they live. So how to die is really the key of how to live is, is, what, is the surprise sort of bottom line of what I'm going to talk about and what I inevitably do talk about. And when years ago, when I was uh, still a monk, and I was at uh, one of the local monasteries in New Jersey with my original teacher, who actually was a Mongolian, although he had lived 35 years in Tibet, and, you know, the Mongolians and the Tibetans have the same, same religion, same sort of culture. Uh, the Tibetans uh, transformed the Mongolian, who were, as we all know, very ferocious conquerors, transformed them into um, uh, being um, uh, peaceful and gentle, like the Tibetans had become. And uh, so anyway, I was with him, and we were in the library of the monastery, and uh, a, a book fell on the floor as we were walking by, which was a Tibetan version of the Tibetan Book of the so-called Tibetan Book of the Dead, which that's actually the wrong title of it. Um, the real Tibetan title of it is, is the Tibet, Tibetan Book of Natural Liberation Through Learning About the Between is the literal title of it. So when you learn in the afterlife period about what's going on, then you're liberated from fear and from negative outcomes is the idea, and it's and the, the concept of being the book of the dead is wrong because there are no dead. That's the big lesson of it. Right. Then it fell on the floor, and um, and the elderly lama said, oh, uh, I was putting it back on the shelf, and the lama said, oh, no, you keep that. You're going to need that. And I said, no, no, I don't need it, um, you know, because there already was a translation of it in English a long time before, and uh, I was studying some other things. So I said, it's okay. I don't need it. I'll put it back. He said, no, no, you keep it. I want you to have it. You're going to need it, he said. He repeated. So I stopped insisting because I, when he insisted, he was Mongolian. That was usually for a reason. And uh, in fact, uh, it, be it became an important thing. About 20 years later, someone asked me, why don't you translate that in a new way? It's not been properly translated. And I said, well, I don't know. Yes, I, I could have some complaint about previous ones, but um, why do that? It's been done. And they said, no. So then I remembered that incident, and then I did it, and I redid it. And uh, I really learned a lot working on that. And actually, of all the books I have written and translated about 20, 30 books, uh, that's been the most popular one. People have, um, you know, the numbers are up there, you know, and the hundreds of thousands. And um, I don't know if it's reached a million in other languages, probably. And I was really surprised about that. And uh, But I, I love the topic. It's very, very important. When you understand what death is, then you understand what life is. And until you do, you don't understand what life is. You think that somehow 
I can do something magical. And even, you know, the guy, famous Ray Kurzweil guy, he thinks that we're all going to be downloaded in computers. He's so so scared of death himself. He tries wants to be immortal by living in a computer. <laughs> Make his brain, put it in a computer. He's sure that AI will enable us to do that, which from our Tibetan point of view is really silly. You know, and actually from a Doctor Who point of view, it's crazy. If you, I don't know if any of you know Doctor Who, but the Daleks are among his worst enemies, and they came from their robot computers who are so frustrated because they're human brains that have been placed in computers, and they're really annoying, and they don't like living humans, and they go around going, exterminate, exterminate, and they're really scary, actually, if you ever watch Doctor Who. So Ray Kurzweil is trying to be a new race of Daleks. I think it's terrible, really. But, uh, but the point is, we are immortal already. It's just that the death transition is like, it would be like someone saying, well, I don't want to be unconscious. I want to always be conscious because I love being conscious. So I don't want to sleep anymore. I refuse to go to sleep. How long would that person last? That is the dumbest thing. When we, at the end of a hard day, we're happy to go to sleep. And we, therefore, and we know we're going to wake up. That's why. And sleep is just a way of renewing our energies. And we wake up all energized because when we sleep, we become completely open. You know, we're not there defending our boundaries for a change because we're unconscious. And so unless we're dreaming. But then by opening our boundaries, the universe gives us new energy because the universe likes us. Maybe loves us even in the definition of love, of giving us energy, of being, making us happy. So when we understand that death is just a transition like sleeping, and if you're open to it, and if you're a loving person, and if you're friendly and so forth, and you're not nursing grudges and freaked outs and living in fear and terror, then after then you can get a better life. So when your body is kind of, you're fed up with it, it's you're old, you, you've been through all kinds of things, it's not working that well anymore, you've had enough pills on the internet to try to be immortal, and you realize it's not going to happen, and then you embrace it in a, in, a, in a loving manner, and you say goodbye to folks who might miss you if you've been nice, and uh, you find them again in the future. And uh, boom, you go, you, you're liberated, you know, and you get closer to liberation. You don't get liberated automatically by dying, but you get close to it. And if you understand it, you will fully, and you're fully conscious, like, you know, like lucid dreaming. Everybody knows about lucid dreaming, yeah. where you wake up in the dream, but yet you stay in the dream. And then you can use the dream to learn and do things, talk to your friends and so on. Uh, because you're in a subtle body, virtual body. Well, if you learn to use death like that, which the Tibetans have developed at Supreme Indians and before them, and Tibetans and Mongolians have developed supreme method of doing that, then you um, you can uh, come back way better, in, and uh, you can have the next life will be even better. And then you'll be able to do more for the people you love. You know, even though you hate leaving the people you love when you die. But you don't really leave them forever. You just go through a thing. It's like you leave everybody you love when you fall asleep. You can't <laughs> for any of them. But you don't mind. They don't mind because they know you're coming back. So, but, but you see, the thing is that it, we are all terrorized by cultures who don't want us to have a break or a vacation. They want to enslave us. The king or the bad president or the prime minister or whoever it is or the queen or whoever's bossing us plus the high priests of whichever religion it is, they want us to stay living as their slaves. And yeah. so they don't like us getting liberated in any way. 
And so they tell us, be scared of death. And oh, it's really scary. And we can help you with it, of course, they claim. And um, they, make, they make us live in denial like that. Then if you live in denial, you're half dead when you're alive. And, it's, and it sucks, you know. So the point is, if you open when you're alive, you know, if you know about death, then you'll be more open when you're alive. When you're more open when you're alive, you'll be happier. And the people who are around you, who love you, will like you a lot more because you'll be more friendly with them. Yes, and I know that that's the goal of Terry's conference and what she does so much of um, in trying to help all of the attendees and the people who come is to really get them more comfortable in understanding all of these concepts about death so that they can live more fully. Terry, I'm sure you have a couple of questions that you uh, wanted to I do. Ask Thank you, Bob. That was an amazing explanation. And, you know, it's interesting because when I was young, uh, I read the Tibetan Book of the Dead when I was 19. I'm 68 now. It was a long time ago. And everything... About you don't look a day over 45. Here on StreamYard makes us all look so beautiful. <laughs> so it made more sense to me than anything I had ever heard. I wasn't raised in any particular, particular religion, but I just resonated with that. And it's been with me now for the last 50 years. So you mentioned something about death is kind of like you know, this dream state, or not a dream state, but dreaming in between incarnations, but it's very busy in the Bardo, isn't it? It's not a place of rest at all. There's a lot of stuff going on the whole time you're in the interlife between incarnations. Can you say something about that? Sure, sure. That's a great question. Well, actually, I don't think it's quite correct, though. The impression, of course, the impression we get when we read the Book of the Dead, because we're reading through it, you know, day one, day two, day three, day four, like that, you know, the, what could possibly, the different possibilities that could happen. And uh, actually, one thing we should know, it is a scientific document, not a mystical one, because the, the claim is, although I admit from a materialist point of view, it's kind of a wild claim, but the claim is, um, if you're not a materialist, quite credible, which is that over beginning since beginningless time, that advanced beings who have developed good strong control of their mental apparatus, you could say, who've learned to operate, who who have had good manuals of operating, you know, spaceship human body, and therefore can really live in their nervous system and live in their emotional system and live in their conceptual intellectual system, and therefore have learned a lot about how to operate it, you could say. Uh, they uh, have lucidly died, and they report the different things that can happen to you, and then they take it of those the optimal ones and the worst ones and give you a way of being prepared for that and to learn how to prepare so that you can, you can, you can approach the optimal ones. And so all their scientific descriptions of things to help us deal with them are said to be relative explanations. They're not the absolute thing. Not everybody has to go through exactly everything that is said there. And they're, and that's very, in other words, they're like real scientists. They say, this is our report at the moment, but we don't make it a dogma that everybody's going to go through exactly this and exactly that, and exactly the other. This is the range of things you might, and you prepare for it in such a way that you try to go, you go through in a good way. And the key thing, the busyness that you're talking about, Terry, correctly, is if you don't know how to handle it and you keep missing the key points where you could get into peaceful state, where you could use the transition to develop 
higher tolerance and a higher aptitude towards reaching the very, very massively expansive, massively blissful, massively peaceful states, which you can hit you, which you do hit right away the minute you die, actually. But the reason that then you might get busy is if you haven't prepared for it well, you've never meditated, you've never had any instruction about it, you didn't learn about it before, you didn't go to Terry Daniels afterlife uh, preparation conferences in whatever culture, if, you, if you're unprepared, then what happens is you feel freaked out that you've lost the old uh, spaceship you're in, which is a human body, and you sort of seem to be sort of a vast being floating in space. And then you feel frightened of that because you're used to thinking the universe is maybe scary because people have brainwashed you that it is. And so you struggle to reassert like some control, but you don't know what you're controlling. So then you're scrambling yourself. The busyness that you see is what happens when somebody's not able to let go. And then they scramble to try to reassert, but they don't have the, the equipment to do it with. And so they, 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 they put on the wrong spacesuit, so to speak. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like what would happen to you if you try to do a spacewalk outside of a, you know, like, a space, like one of those spaceships that we see in these different movies and, or the ones that we send up, you know, the space station. If you try to get, hop out there wearing a, a bathing trunks, you know, you explode, you know. And yeah, because the pressure is internal and external, you're not used to being at zero pressure or very low pressure in space, and um, and so you're you're in you 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 blow up, and then of course, and as you felt yourself doing that, you'd be completely freaking out naturally. So you put on a suit, and then with that suit, you can you can calmly walk around and float around with uh, with Brad Pitt trying to fix the you know fix the antenna. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they show us the movie. And so the point is the Book of the Dead or the Book of Natural Liberation, um, uh, which when you when you study that uh, and you learn about that or with a good teacher or instructor about it, then what happens is you are prepared for what goes on. Okay, now I'm going to float. It's like now I'm in a sleep state, so I should let go and I should allow myself to be unconscious. And then if I completely open to be unconscious, then I'll, I'll develop a different, I'll be conscious in another way. And I'll be sort of omnipresently conscious, but I, I won't be like in a dark place, I'll be in a bright light place. And if then I'll go for that bright light place, and since I'm not holding on, I won't fight against the bright light by feeling it's too dazzling. That's actually one of the deepest and main instructions in the Book of Natural Liberation is when you see lights, when, you know, when you're sort of out of body and you're not sure what you are, when a big bright light sort of rises in front of you or as you in the middle of you or something, not to shirk it, not to shrink from it and try to run away from it and shut down and put on uh, shades, you know, and don't go for the shades because then that'll trap you in on, on, on less pleasant places. And let yourself go. Like It's like I always say being good training for the bardo or the between is to go to a discotheque now and then with very bright strobe lights and things and learn to kind of let go to sort of dazzling uh, special effects, you could say. Because what happens is the high energy of sort of open space is not a dark space like we think from watching our spaceship movies, but it's a brilliantly energetic space, super energized space. And the more open to it are, then the more, the more luck you will have in getting a more energized embodiment 
or in constructing one, if you actually reach the high level of knowing that you're responsible for how you embody, and you can be or you can be a ma an amazing being. Actually, you can kind of hang with the angels if you know how to do that. But otherwise, when you see a, an angel, they might seem so powerful and bright, and that you might be scared, and you might run away and hide. Then you'll be ha hanging out with the groundhogs, and you know what? That you do not want to do. So that the busyness that you see is the busyness of the person who goes into it with an over-busy mind in, in a sort of experience of having been fighting to keep that, that, that skeleton, that body, flesh and blood of the old body, even though it's collapsing from whatever disease or old age or whatever it might, or in an accident, whatever it might be. And they're scrambling and struggling. And then the busyness describes how to try to unwind that scrambling and struggling. And then it shows all different possible ways of doing it because different people come in with different patterns of trying to reassert some old uh, idea or old stereotype that they have about the image they have of themselves. And that's where the busyness comes. In fact, the between state is a state of very strong and powerful access to super peacefulness, just like in a way, if you're, if you're a good yogi or yogini, as they say, and you've practiced opening your heart in meditation and sort of letting go in a certain way. Think, you know, you're having a meditation and you remember somebody at work who really bugs, bugs the hell out of you or some sibling who used to bully you or someone in a class or some, some person you dislike in the media world or something, some supposed enemy or something like that in history even. And you think of that and get all crunched up and feel either fear and and anger and all sorts of things. And then in the meditation, you say, well, I, you know, I'm not gonna let that person get to me and make me feel all scrunched up and unhappy and unpleasant. Okay, they, they, they were bad, that was bad that then, not gonna whitewash it, but I'm gonna let go of it now. I'm just gonna open, I'm gonna ignore that thing. I'm gonna let go, I'm gonna let it go, you know? And um, I'm gonna just not react, you know? And they're gonna leave me alone. And then, in other words, open your heart about that old grudge or that old resentment or whatever it is. And when you learn to do that in meditating, when, something, when you see something in a dream that it looks bad, then you'll be able to kind of let go and go through it. And then that, because in that dream state, nothing can hurt you because you're just in a dream body. You know, you don't have a body that they can punch or, or, or twist your arm or something. <laughs> they can try to grab your dream arm, it won't help them. So... So that's a way of preparing, then that gives you a way, when you learn about that ahead of time, you can prepare and become more adept at letting go and being open-hearted and being open, ready for anything and ready to sort of flip, swim through it, you know, you know. And they say, like, if you see a dragon coming to swallow you and that thing, if you just let go and then it tries to bite you, but it can't, and then right, you go right through its throat and you're out in the universe, you know. And also because the dragon is, a, if I understand this correctly, the dragon and the demons, those are projections that we carry exactly. Exactly. The between space, which yeah. are just imprints of all our wounds and our beliefs and our attachments and the ego stuff. And so in the between space, those things express themselves to us as monsters. And if I remember the book correctly, it's like, don't look at that monster over there. That's not real. Look over there where the light is. And it's like constantly trying to direct you. Do I understand that? The bright, the bright light, you know. The, yes, go over there to the bright light. That's right, that's right. 
I have so many questions for you. It's such an honor to have a moment to talk to you. April, can I ask another question? Sure. So this is um, my uh, dissertation advisor was uh, I went to a seminary and she was very Christian and we got into an argument about something I wrote in my paper uh, about karma and the Buddhist afterlife not being punitive. It doesn't, there's no punishment that comes from some remote third party deity. And she said, oh yes, Buddhism is full of punishment. You incarnate, you know, based on, you know, exacting like a punishment from bad things you did in a past life. To me, her interpretation was completely whacked. But I w- I've always wanted to ask this question to someone. Right, who right. Well, one thing that is really fun that I enjoy, I'm so happy. I'm, I was so lucky to for have met my original teacher, the Venerable Gizhi Wangyal, who passed away 40 years ago. But he was such a great person. He was he was Mongolian, and he looked sort of like the guy in the Karate Kid. And, and I don't look like the Karate Kid at all, and I wasn't like that, but exactly. But in a way, I was, and he was just wonderful. And then he introduced me to the Dalai Lama in like 50 years ago, and then he's been my friend. And, um, of course, I was born in, um, you know, nominally as a Presbyterian Protestant, although my parents didn't drag me much to church, and they didn't go much, but now and then. And I always liked baby Jesus. I didn't like sort of the punishing God attitude, you know, the idea of punishing. And the whole idea of punishing relates in monotheistic traditions, which there are some in India, Shiva, Vishnu, you know, you know, Christianity or the Abrahamic ones, you know, Judaism, Christianity, Islam are not the only monotheistic traditions. There are other ones. And the monotheistic tradition tends to be a bit like that because, because they attribute to a single being the omnipotent power over you and over everything. So whenever anything happens to you, it's either reward or punishment dished out by this being. And actually, in the Buddhist literature, they have the they have they have a scene, several quite a few scenes where the Buddha meets the deity in India in his time called Brahma, who the other Indians used to think was the creator. And that creator keeps telling Buddha, "Look, Buddha, I support what you're doing. You tell people that I'm not omnipotent and I'm really powerful." But I didn't create everything, and I want them to know it, because I, I, although I like being worshipped by them when things are good for them, I don't like it when they have a horrible experience and they blame me, you know, because I'm omnipotent, so I must have caused it. I don't like that. So do you tell them that it's up to it's up to people of how they are, you know? Now, if you had told your lady, if you if you knew a little of that, and you had told that poor lady who was who was interpreting Christianity that way, if you had told her, look. When you, if you take a lot of drugs or you drink a bottle of scotch every day, you're going to get really sick. But the bottle of scotch is not punishing you for drinking it. You actually did it yourself and you spoiled your body by, by liver by drinking too much and you're now going to be sick. So, you know, somebody else didn't punish you about it. Buddhism didn't, Christianity didn't. You did it yourself by drinking all that liquor. And similarly, if you ate, you know, I took your cod liver oil and your your omega threes and your and ate nice you know like broccoli ate your broccoli you're going to be healthy and you're going to be happy and again the, the broccoli didn't reward you for that you did it by taking care of yourself and and so it's just a causality the causality that you think is practical in life 
is practical in multiple lives. That's the only thing. And actually, of course, you have a glorious thing in Christianity where you have a great being like Jesus, who was definitely a, like a higher being, like almost like a, de like a deity. And he was there, he's, he'll be there to help you if you trust him when you, when you pass away. And he will try to prevent you from taking with you bad things that you did, bad habits. He'll try to help you. But if you were really bad and you're so closed off in life that you, that you insist on being bad because you're so frightened of what's going to happen to you in the future, then he won't be able to help you too well. You'll shut him off. When you see him, you'll say, oh, don't bother me. You know? I'm, I'm, uh, you're not a Republican or you don't, you know, you don't believe in me or etc. So you might push off the person who's going to help you yourself because you're so paranoid. Because you've been mean to others, you will be assuming that whoever else you see will be bad. Maybe it's not really Jesus. Maybe it's Satan or whatever. You won't be able to receive the help. So, so one great thing about the Dalai Lama is he, he has made a, a global pact, which unfortunately not all other religious leaders agree to, but many have. And he's told three popes He's told many Protestant ministers, he's told Muslim mullahs, he's told Hindu swamis, he's told anybody he can tell. It's too late in history, the way the world is, to be fanatical about our religion and to try to convert other people to it. So we shouldn't convert each other. And I want you to know, and he always tells us when he gives a talk, like in the U.S. or somewhere, he says, I'm not teaching you about some of this Buddhist thing or that Buddhist thing, this meditation or that thing, to try to convert you. I, I want to teach you just as human knowledge, whatever we have learned and run into in case it might be helpful. But I would like you to implement it and use it, like meditate, and don't call on Buddha, call on Jesus with your new meditative way of calling on people. Use your meditation to strengthen your prayer. Use your Use your faith in reality that actually it's basically good. God is love, let's say, and you can call it God. I don't want you to call it emptiness or call it ultimate reality or something because, you know, I, I don't want you to call on Avalokiteshvara instead of Jesus because you couldn't pronounce his name. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, Avalokiteshvara, who? <laughs> you wouldn't be able to call him to help you. And in the Book of the Dead, as you know, for example, it says if someone isn't highly prepared and trained, Call on the Lord of Compassion, it says. And in my footnote, in my translation of that book, it said, I say, that for Tibetan, that means Chenresig, which is the Tibetan translation of the Sanskrit word Avalokiteshvara, who is considered the Lord of Compassion, you know, the compassion of all Buddhas, and, and who has the ability to be everywhere for everyone, you could say, like Jesus does for Christians. And so point is, Jesus is a nice two-syllable word, even in, in, in Isa, you know, in India, they like Jesus and they call him Isa. And, um, and uh, Yeshua, I guess, in uh, Yeshua or Yoshua in Hebrew, in Aramaic, you know, in his own language. And the uh, point is, stand up for him, do it. And that's great. And you learn to do that better if you learn a little bit more and you meditate a little bit more about it. And don't just be terrified by some people who pretend that Jesus wants you to kill some unbelievers. You know, and to be hostile to people like that. Muhammad didn't tell people that. Jesus didn't tell them that. They, those are bad interpretations that later sort of sultan kings, you know, like dictators told people, pretended that God told them to do what the dictator tells them, which is go kill the enemy so the dictator can have more property, more territory, you know, more greedy, have quite 
quadruplex instead of a triplex, you know. Right, lousy dictators, the way they behave, you know. And uh, Jesus is not like that. He wants to help everybody, whether they're Christian. And the whole idea that if you're not Christian, you're going to hell, they have to change that theology. That's stupid. But Dalai doesn't want them to change religions. And he doesn't want Buddhists to change. If they, are, if they like Buddhism, it's good. He, it's legal to do it. If a Buddhist wanted to become a Christian, fine, no problem. But he wants the leaders of the traditions not to compete for market share. So, for example, also me too. When I teach Book of the Dead, I don't do it like, oh, yeah, you guys should all now become card-carrying Buddhists and then the Book of the Dead will work better for you and blah, blah, blah. I don't do that. I have in all my notes right there what I'm translating. I'm saying, well, if you're a Muslim, you call on Kizr. Or, you know, Islam is very worried about idolatry, so they're very short. You know, doctrinal Islam is very short on angels. Even though it was Gabriel who talked to Muhammad, he didn't speak to Allah himself, but Gabriel gave him the message. But they don't emphasize that, you know. They, they have the same angels as the Christians and the Jews, but they don't emphasize it. But you can find that intercessor even in Islam. And, you know, you can, or you can call him Muhammad himself. He's not going to be mad at you. But maybe some, some uh, more orthodox Muslim, Muslim might feel, well, he's too, too far out for you to call on, so he's not going to come. But you could call Gabriel. You could call any of the old, you know, because actually Islam is trying to be Judaism. He wanted to have a bar mitzvah, Muhammad. He, he went to Jerusalem. He met God. He met Allah. And he, met, he went to heaven on a white horse from Jerusalem. That's why the Al-Aqsa Mosque is a big deal in Jerusalem for the Muslims. So, you know, he's, it's nothing against either Judaism or Christianity in Islam. But later theologians in Islam, like later theologians in Christianity, they, in order to have their crusades and their fights over territories, they tried to pretend to people and they brainwashed them that, oh, they're really anti and you should kill them and, and they're bad. And and nowadays, Dalama's point and my point is, nowadays in any one city on the whole planet, there's, there's churches, mosques, temples, meditation centers, what have you, secular people who don't believe in any particular divine thing or they're materialist, but they're humanistic, at least they want to help the human being. And therefore, it is too late in history to go around saying the other one is no good. And we should really stop doing that. We should just say our guy is really great. And we're doing and we're doing and we and he loves everybody. And so I love you. And you know, you can join me or not, but I'm not going to try to convert you. I'm going to, I'm going to honor you that you're finding the same loving ultimate reality when i say god is love or jesus is love i mean they love they love everybody and uh, you can find it through whatever bunch of names you have and i'm gonna leave you alone and please leave me alone i think i really like that idea and i'm totally into that and uh, you know i've had uh, there are some kinds of buddhists for example who have a strong what they call other power theology you know, some of the Pure Land people, what they call them, like in Japan and China, and they were, that used to be big in India. And so they feel that human is not, nowadays we're in a dark age, and the individual can't really develop strong mental awareness, self-awareness, and can't meditate and attain op great openness. And so therefore we have to rely on a compassionate intercessor only. And so if you have a Book of the Dead where you should you should learn to do something, that's bad because then people won't just be, Please help me. You know, they won't just pray to the other, to the enlightened being or the loving being. You know, and so you know, your book of the dead sucks at all. The actual Buddhists, I've heard, I've had a few, very few, but a few things like that. And I would say to them, look, 
fine, just depend on Buddha to help you, or bodhisattvas, as we call it, angels, you know, and and you're good, but do, you don't prevent other people who don't have such a belief from, like, trying to figure out how to maneuver in the ocean of the between state, you know, and uh, don't be upset about it, and be cool, you know, and then uh, they, they don't write back. <laughs> I don't know. I, I would like to think that now, now that we have this world where we have the internet and anybody can just click the mouse and be sitting here listening to you right now and all the information we need about religious history and theology is right there for anyone who wants it. Amazing. I would like to think that we are ushering in a time where we are able to now have a complete theological overhaul of those old orthodoxy ideas and have a more connected and inclusive view of the divine or whatever you want to call it, because everything is right out there for us that's to have. Right. Well, that's, you see, that's the new age kind of people who I really like, you know, and, and I've been annoyed. There's been this backlash in the media where people go, oh, new age, new age. And what are they really like the old age? Let's say we have a world war, guys. What, what, what would you like? Oh, that'd be fun. Let's let's try that. It's so stupid, you know. And I'm really upset with the with the you know KGB in their their attempts to divide Europe. You know, which you know Europe had lost started a lot of wars. They had a lot of wars every spring everywhere in Europe, and they persecuted people. They did holocausts, and they and it's bad. And they've been so cool with their European Union for 50, 80 years now, and that, they, that they're getting young people into being like Nazi-like or French, we're going to break out, or Brexit. Or, you know, it's just terrible. And, and I think the worst, of course, would be if Germany decided to drop out of the European Union. And that, but they never will, I think, because what would we call that as a short? We'd call it jerks it. <laughs> <laughs> so they'll never do it. And that's really great. And I wish the English would go back. You know, I think it's so silly. They, they, they used to have an empire, and then they became this island, and now they're connected to the European mainland. And they have these tunnels and things, and they shouldn't do that. And, uh, you know, we should have a world system where people are all friends, and Russia should join and stop messing with Ukraine. And Russia, can, Russian, the Russian people are semi-European, and they love, they love it. And, you know, let, forget about Siberia. Don't worry about it. It's part of Asia, and then you have a Asian Union, and everybody be fine and happy. And uh, and but you th but the thing is, all the localities will be peaceful when there's an overall sense of common common humanity as well. You know, the overall sense of instead of international affairs become the the the, the might makes right, and you know domination and who's more super powerful. That has to stop, and then the people can assert more their local pleasure and local joy and local happiness and we can save this planet from our from the destruction you know stop investing so much in military and put that money all into greta thunberg whatever she wants <laughs> if you put all the military budgets of the planet into whatever greta asked for and save her future she would really be cheery i really like to see a smile on her face i don't like to see it I, don't, I feel unhappy when Greta has to feel she has to say to her own grown-ups, how dare you, she gets all upset. And I feel, I feel a deep wound when she does that as a kind of potential grandpa, when that, when that sweet child says that. And, and those, those, those nasty politicians and oil people and KGB leftover types, they should cool out and, and just try to have a little fun instead of domineering and, and messing with people. 
And, uh, and they'll do that if they realize that if you want to die well, you better live better. That's because, because one of the big lessons of, of course, the Book of Natural Liberation and the Afterlife Conference, and you are wonderful helping people in the time of, and I feel very honored to be with you because I haven't really sat with a lot of people in their death thing, because I've been in the ivory tower and translating Sanskrit and Tibetan all this time, so I'm busily doing that. And, uh, uh, and so I feel that's a very great and honorable thing that you do of helping people come to that crossroads where they're going to leave the body and they're going to find another one, whether they believe they are or not. And you're helping them with a good quality of how they go about that without imposing any particular belief upon them. I know that you do, but just encouraging them to be open, loving, and expect love. You know, the bottom line, actually, for everyone is we all have to learn the universe loves us. The universe is good. That's what all the great spiritual founders were trying to tell people. God is love. Allah is al-Rahim, you know, the compassionate one. Rahim, by the way, you know, comes from, in, in Semitic languages, compassion words relate to womb words. And so, although they make, the, the, the male chauvinist cultures make it out like God is a big guy. Actually, the mom side of God is 100% there in all the texts, you know, mom. Yeah. I just think, you know, the biggest takeaway for me in sitting here and listening to you talk, like you said, is in order to die better, we have to live better. And I think the work is working on our consciousness now while we are alive so that when we make that transition, not only do we have a better death, but when we come back around, we have, again, a better life. And I think... Listen, yeah. what, what, I didn't get to ask you, what is path 11? You're <laughs> really doing something great. What is that? Yeah. Uh, what does it mean? Yeah, well, Path 11, we came up with that name because Mike and I were on a, a spiritual journey and a path, and uh, the number 11 kept presenting itself to us in synchronicity. So we created three dots. Yeah. We, when you do div divination with dice, which Tibetans do, and they're to a goddess, you know, and they ask her questions, you know, with divination by rolling dice. When they get 11, they go, whoopee. That's a, that's a good one. Exactly. So that's, that's terrific. You and Mike, oh, that's a, he's the engineer of the voice. Yeah, he, he helps us there. We created uh, three documentaries on consciousness about the afterlife, um, astral did. projection, and what happens when we die. So we're just on this quest of trying to find people yeah. like you and Terry to, um, you know, talk to our listeners, to talk to me, and help me to live better better, so I could die better. <laughs> really great. That's wonderful. Well, nice to meet you, April. Great meeting both of you, and I look forward later to the thing. And uh, and I look, and uh, let's do some more podcasting. I like to do podcasts with both of you and much. Okay. Robert, thank you. Take care. Take care. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in. The Afterlife Awareness Conference is running virtually this year, June 24th to the 25th. Now, on the 24th, Terry can talk a little bit about that, but um, there are in-depth pre-conference workshops, and Robert Thurman is actually doing one of those, and that is on June 24th. The actual conference kicks off the 25th. 5th, the 26th, and the 27th. We do have tickets for sale, afterlifeconference.com. Uh, and there is a continuing education track, which is really wonderful. Um, and I think that that is a really nice bonus that uh, Terry offers. And she's offering a bunch of goodies too with these tickets. So Terry, before we end today, can you just let people know what they're getting with their ticket to the Afterlife Conference? Because it's not just the conference itself. I know that you got a, a bunch of uh, just fun things that people are getting in addition to their ticket. 
Yeah. Um, so if you register for the general conference, opens on Friday night with Robert Thurman as the keynote. Then it goes all day Saturday and half a day Sunday. Um, a lot of our presenters have created a little sort of gift package of digital content. So as soon as you register, you get a link to that. So you get teachings by our various presenters. So that's like really good extra extra content and extra teachings. Uh, if you are a licensed professional who needs CE credits, uh, those are available. So we've got that little package. And the way it's set up, oh, and we on, on Sunday morning, we have gallery style audience readings with our featured medium, Thomas John. And we also have that on Friday night with our other featured medium, Suzanne Northrup. So you get that. Um, it's a lot of stuff. And the pre and post conference workshops, those are separately priced. And those are two and a half hours. And it's really just like one-on-one -on -one intense teaching and hands-on experiential work with the teacher. Uh, we've got Robert Thurman is doing one. We've got Patty Pellerito doing uh, a workshop on sound therapy using gongs and bells and music. Uh, Linda Backman is teaching about soul regression therapy. And uh, Kitty Edwards, uh, Death as a Rite of Passage is a workshop, which is a wonderful one we've had before. And Linda Fitch is teaching the shaman's gift of dreaming. So it's just really great stuff. And we, this is our 11th year, which amazes me every time I think about it. And I'm so happy and grateful to all of you who have made this possible. And you. Yeah. Well, thank you, Terry. And thanks for joining us. I know, I think you and I could have sat with Robert probably for about four hours. I mean, it's just hearing him talk and observing it all is just so wonderful. I had about 10 more questions that I wanted to ask too, but I knew we were limited on time, but glad we were able to get, you know, a couple in there. And uh, thanks for helping me co-host today. It's a lot of fun, actually, when I have somebody else here uh, helping me out. So yeah, yeah. maybe we'll do another one with him just to yeah. get some of our questions in. Yeah. That would be great. All right, everyone. So again, why don't you head on over to the afterlifeconference.com website, take a look at all of the presenters, take a look at your ticket options and what you can add on. Remember, you get all of these freebies with your ticket and tickets are on sale now. So again, it is June uh, 24th, 25th, 26th, 27th, and you get CE credits. And again, it's afterlifeconference.com. Thank you all so much for listening today. Uh, please be sure to share this podcast with friends, family, share it on social media, spread the word, let people know not only about Robert Thurman's work in the world, but also the Afterlife Awareness Conference. We are all going to be touched by death in one way or another. We are all going to die, right? So the message today is to live better so you can die better. Take care, everyone. Thanks everyone so much for listening. I also want to give you a free code. Uh, this code is actually going to be for PAP11 TV. If you are listening to this podcast, you can actually watch our podcast for free on PAP11 TV and you can start a seven day free trial. And if you subscribe, I'd like to give you the code podcast30. Podcast is all in caps and that will give you some money off for your membership. PAP11 TV has over a hundred hours of video and you can download the app on any device. So head on over to your app store and look for the purple Path 11 TV logo. It's beautiful. I love it. And I know you're going to love it too. All right. Thanks everyone. Take care. <laughs>